Hey, welcome to Tangible Takeaways, episode 43. I'm Jackson, and today I'm going to talk about how change in our relationship with Christ is sometimes found in just embracing His pacing. And I'm Kurt, and I'm going to talk about how in Christianity, so often we want life to be more like a microwave, and I think God is looking at us more to live in a crockpot. All that and more on this episode of Tangible Takeaways. Kurt, thanks so much for being on. It's great being with you, Jackson. Yeah, I appreciate the time. And it's fun to have you on because you were teaching this weekend, and there's just kind of a, a unique thing when you're going through the process of getting ready to teach a message that it kind of, that text just begins to kind of speak into your life, and you just kind of start to see it in new ways. And so what would you say just as kind of going through this text, what stood out to you in a unique or a fresh way maybe this time? Yeah, I even mentioned a little bit on the weekend, but Peter's story had always seemed like, I mean, we always look at him as such a failure Mm. and the things he did. And for me, as I was studying through the week, I could actually see myself in that moment with Jesus throughout my life. Mm. Those moments where I feel like Peter had me walk, I mean, Jesus had me walk along the water and he's having that moment with me. It's not the same issues Peter dealt with. But there are areas in my own life where I feel like God's calling me back to himself. And so I felt very much in that moment Mm. that this wasn't just his story, but I've gone down this road before with Jesus where he has to restore me in areas of my life. So it was pretty personal. And it's not always fun to do that because you get some of the things in your heart where you realize, oh, that was a tough time. But God's grace through that has been pretty sweet. Yeah, it is. It is, I feel like, one of the most relatable like sections in any of the Gospels Mm -hmm. because... Um, there's sections of Peter's story or a lot of the other disciples' stories that we can resonate with at smaller sections in our lives, like maybe when we when we put our foot in our mouth or you know we just kind of yeah. want, want to run ahead of Jesus or things like that. But there's something so unique about this story because I really don't think that you can be a Christian and not relate to this reality, yeah. the, the walk with Jesus after failure. Yeah, and I think the part that makes it even feel more real to me is Peter's own hurt and woundedness through the whole process. Mm. And that's a sign of being a believer. Yeah, When you have that sense of, I've, I've wronged my Lord and mm. I, I wanna have him take care of that with me, that's a great sign. Yeah. You know, it's the opposite of what Judas did. He felt the hurt, but then he said, I don't want to deal with it. And here mm. Peter's like, no, I need to own up to this. Yeah. And so I think that is a beautiful sign that you're a follower of Christ, is that you're ready for him to kind of walk through that with you. Yeah. I think a lot of times we look for the marker being perfection, right? I'm mm-hmm. killing it on every front. But in some ways, the marker actually is like, oh man, when I violate this or when I cross these lines that God set for me, man, I've I feel the weight of that. And I'm not going to stay there, right? Peter isn't going to stay there either, mm-hmm. but I feel the weight of that. And um, I, I think I think so many elements of this story are so relatable. Like the fact that he even, the story begins with him running back to old Peter, right? Like yeah. I, every time I come to that, I just think of these moments of failure in my life. And what I realize, Kurt, is sometimes failure in my life can become like compounding failure. Yeah. Like it's like you you have one thing, like things are going pretty well for a long time, and then you have this one thing that goes wrong, and then I just kind of revert back to who I mm-hmm. used to be on everything. Because that one thing, it almost becomes this thing in your mind that's like, well, that is who I am, right? Yeah. Like you just kind of, you cave to it when you, when you break and yeah. when you fail, and it's like, well, that's just who I am. And now all of a sudden, as that sense of worthlessness creeps in, 
worthless people are willing to do increasingly worthless things, yeah. right? And so you just kind of spiral, and that's kind of where Peter's at. He's been sitting with this for a while now, and he just kind of starts going back to abandoning the purpose that's been set before him. When you look at that reality of him kind of running away back to what he mm -hmm. used to do, how do we like avoid that? In the, is that just part of the process yeah, or wow. is that something that we have to do or is it something we can avoid? Yeah, that's so tough. Um, I think Jackson, for me, I, I guess I would probably say it's what voice you're listening to. Mm. Because in the story we read, the voice of Jesus is calling him, come back, return. Yeah. But I'm sure the enemy's voice is as strong in times if you're listening for that when you fail, the enemy's saying, don't go back. In fact, he won't want you back. Mm. You're not welcome back. And so I think even the tone of what voice you're listening for and what you're, what you're doing to put yourself in a position to hear him. So like even reading the Bible is a way of hearing Christ's voice again, but it's sometimes when we violate God in whatever area, that's something that's one of the first things to go because we feel guilt from that. Mm. When in reality, the Bible's meant to not just show us our guilt, but to draw us back to the Savior. Yeah. And so I think first thing I would say is the voices, you have to be listening to Christ and not the enemy. Mm. And I think the second thing is it's kind of... Um, it's kind of interesting to me is uh, John, later on, he writes the book of Revelation. In that second chapter, he talks to the church of Ephesus, and it said they, they lost their first love. Hmm. And at the end of that little chapter, in verse 5, I think it is, of chapter 2, he basically says, consider how far you have fallen, hmm. repent, and do the things you did at first. And I think sometimes we just don't remember the, what we fell from. Hmm. We feel bad in the moment, but when you can look back and say, remember when I was doing this with Christ and the joy that I had and, and the fellowship that I had with God and how I was interacting and how people actually liked being with me as opposed to avoid me and yeah. how my life was in, on purpose and I had joy. I think when we start falling away, we have to remember back to how far we've fallen, not to kick ourselves, but to kind of give us a new vision of what can be again mm. and why it's worth working toward restoration because that life that we used to have is like, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. And it is it is just wild in the Christian walk how quickly that life can be gone, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's it takes a, a long time to kind of build up that momentum and get back into those spiritual rhythms and disciplines when they when they break down. Mm -hmm. But man, when they break down, it's just like a, we become totally different people. It really is a very quick like mm -hmm. change that happens in us. And I think there's a reason that scripture refers to Satan as the accuser, right? Mm -hmm. Like even in that, what you're talking about with those voices, that is such the reality where when we fail, it's this, um, it, it almost is that voice that comes in and says, hey, all of those things that you remember about the way life was before this failure, it was all a facade, yeah. right? Like those are kind of the, the things that we're hearing, the things that we're listening to is just like, none of it was really real. It was just kind of there for a little bit and now it's gone and this mm -hmm. is the real me that I'm left with in this, in the pit, right? Like yeah. that biblical imagery of the pit, I think is a great mm -hmm. reality for where Peter's at right now. And a reality that we can resonate with as human beings trying to follow Jesus, where we find ourselves in the pit from time to time. Yeah. And it does come down to who are we going to listen to? Who's going to inform? And I love what you said. We want to push away scripture. That's like the first thing we want to do is we just kind of want to up and run. But man, scripture is a great reminder of how loved we are. And I, I think as I've been going through this process, this kind of pit process in my own life, I'm realizing, Kurt, in some ways, and you can kind of check me on this, I'm almost, I'm really pro-guilt 
I think guilt is like a great thing for us. Mm -hmm. I think it's a reminder of the cross. It's not not guilt tripping, but just this reality of like, man, there is the weight of the reality of why I so desperately need Jesus. Yeah. I'm also extremely anti-shame. <laughs> I think I think we have this idea that shame is like positive in our life and not in the sense that we like shame but that shame brings change i think is what we kind of mm -hmm. tend to think that man if i just kind of beat myself up enough i'll be better and i just haven't ever seen that actually bear any fruit because it's jesus it's the holy spirit who brings about change in our life mm -hmm. it's not us taking ourselves to the proverbial whipping post and saying like let me work on myself and then i'll get better like where how how have we lost the gospel in that yeah. and i think guilt is the that's the initial reality but shame is the conscious decision to continue to go back and dwell upon the mistake and dwell upon it, thinking that that'll bring about a change in us instead of, it brings in many ways, our eyes down to what we just did and off of our savior. Well, and those two extremes, Jackson, I love that between shame and guilt. I think the center point for both of them is what the Holy Spirit does, which is illumination. Mm. I think it's his job to reveal to us what's reality. Mm. And Satan will pull us toward shame. And the gospel will say, no, you are guilty. But again, in Christ, that's been paid for. Mm. And I think the shame is something we try to pay for it ourselves. Yeah. I think that's what Judas did again. Yeah. I'm going to pay for my shame. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is, no, there is a cost, but Jesus already paid that. So come back to him. Own up to it. Like the Revelation 2.5, repent yeah. and do the things you used to do. Come back. Own it. Take care of it but then come back so you can experience that illumination. Because in my life, the best part of my life is when God is illuminating me through his spirit and the illumination I'm getting from him, my understanding of what I'm doing, maybe my choices, they're not always bad. Yeah. His illumination's like, man, you're killing it on this area. Good job. What a great day with you. Yeah. This is I, so in line with me and my kingdom. I, you're, you're filling the role I've called you to fill. And I just love that because so often we think about when God kind of makes us see something that's always bad. And I think, no, it's, sometimes it's awesome yeah. that God's using us. And you get to share Christ with a neighbor or a coworker. You're like, that was really cool. That's illumination. God's showing you that it's working, that his faith, your faith in him is is bearing fruit. Yeah. I, I love in uh, Psalm 103, it's it's talking about the benefits of doing life with God. And and one of the last benefits that's lifted listed is that um, he fulfills our desires with good things. Mm. And I was like, oh man, that is such a true thing. And that is such a place where I see illumination happen is not just in, hey man, that's no good for you, which I see that a lot. Right. That's a, I, get, I get that a lot. <laughs> yeah, we all get that. But then other times there's this pointing to like, hey, this is really good for you. Like yeah. this is a good thing. Yeah. To, this is a good place for that desire to live in is here. And it's a, it's such a cool reality that we get to live in with the Holy Spirit. And I think in many ways, for those of us living in the pit, we have to avoid the, man, I'm just going to go down the shame rabbit hole, or I'm just going to live in guilt land forever. But man, I need to come back. Come back. Come back. Yep. That's where it starts. And then I think we don't want to come back because... It's a little dicey sometimes. It's, it's a tricky process. You, mm -hmm. you said this weekend, I thought it was a great line, that Peter's denial was a public denial. And so his restoration needed to be public. 
And I had never really thought of that before, but I even thought about how Jesus told Peter that he was going to deny him in front of all of these guys oh, yeah. that he's done yeah. life with. And now he's going to restore him in front of all of these guys. And yeah. they're going to be able to see that process too. Because then it got me thinking, man, after you said that, how would Peter have really led those guys in Acts, right? How would he have Could been have that, that leader if they hadn't seen that public restoration, if it was just him and the Lord? So that got me thinking though, like, would you say that, man, that public failure always needs a public restoration and that a private failure always needs a private restoration? Like, do you see that as a yeah. pretty clear correlation? I think there's something to that, uh, especially on the private side. Um, my mantra has always been, if there's a way to keep it as small as possible to solve the problem, you don't want to extend the voices that are being talking about that. Mm. If, if we can deal with the problem and this is the right people are in the room and we can deal with it, I think that's the best way to do it. There are times where public confession, when public uh, conversations have to happen, and I think again at the Sea of Galilee there when Jesus called him right in front of all the same guys that he'd been very boastful with before, I think that was a very appropriate thing mm. to kind of in that setting. And I think Jesus, again, like I said, I think Jesus prevented them from catching fish that night so yeah. that he could teach them the lesson he was going to teach them. And then I actually think in that moment, he didn't seek Peter to say, hey, I want you to do this for my sake. He's for your sake, Peter. Here's a chance for you to publicly say what you really actually, I know you have for me. You love mm. me. And so for Peter's sake, I think he did it in that public setting. Yeah. What's interesting in this, in the scenario of the scripture though, is um, I don't think there's a benefit necessarily to do it in front of everyone if they're not for you. Hmm. And it's a weird way to frame it, but like we don't have Peter doing his his restoration in front of the Roman centurions that arrested Christ, in mm. front of the religious leaders who hated Jesus, in front of the people that attacked him, you know. Yeah, the his, people there by the fire. All the people or... by the fire who were against him. I mean, mm. it seems like in this setting at least, because the purpose was to restore Peter to leadership, I think, in the church, which is a little unique from us. Yeah. But that role that he had, I think that Jesus did the restoration in a semi-public way. It's like family business almost. Yeah, because he invited the people in the room that were actually pro-Peter. Mm. It's not just bringing a crowd with their you know, torches their and pitchforks. pitchforks and trying yeah. to get a pound of flesh out of Peter. It was saying, who's on his side? And I want you here to hear this mm. so that Peter feels restored. The group hears that Christ restores him and together they can regain fellowship and, and truly move forward. And I think, I think you need some people on your side to be truly restored. Right. Yeah, like, right. I, I think you can even have that moment with Jesus, similar to what Peter had, where it's like, OK, Lord, I'm, I'm back. I'm coming back. But then you need some people still to be there to be like, yeah, man, you are back. Right. Like mm -hmm. to kind of reinforce that and be. And that's why we need the body. And I, mm. and I love what you're pointing out, that this reality for Peter, it's it's for Peter. It's not for Jesus. Right. Jesus doesn't need to like get out. He's not, he man, that, really, that really hurt my feelings, yeah. right? Like I, I need an apology. That's not where, that's not where Jesus is working from. Jesus, this is for you. And I think a lot of times when we go deeper into that pit, wanting to avoid coming back, a lot of the time it's because we don't want to have this conversation mm -hmm. thinking that that god wants to just kind of beat us over the head with it when any conversation that we're going to have with god is definitely going to be honest yeah. there's going to be yeah. a lot of truth to it <laughs> it's going to be real mm -hmm. um but at the same time it's for us it's not it's not for him and i think any perception that 
These awkward and difficult conversations with God and restoration are for him to wave over us or like hang over us our sin. Like that's not what he's doing at all. It's for us yeah. so that we could actually truly be restored. And so I just think that's a huge misconception that we have in that space with God. Well, and I, th- I love the part of Peter's story because at the very end, Christ ascends to heaven. Less than a month later, who's the spokesperson at Pentecost? Who's mm. teaching the crowds? Yeah, Peter. It's Peter. And I don't think that would have happened apart from John 21. Mm-hmm. Acts 2 doesn't happen apart from John 21. And I think that's a cool reminder that, that no, this isn't just hypothetical that Jesus kind of loves us. And no, there's a purpose for his restoration. Yeah. And I don't know what the, you know, the restoration for all of us are very individual. Some people might be restored into a family relationship that's been damaged, or maybe you've been a harsh parent and you need to get back in a right relationship with your kids. Um, it could be anything. Yet I think that point is that you can be useful for the kingdom and God is not done with you. Yeah, it's not over. Well, I, what's interesting is we talked about John chapter 13 here on Tangible Takeaways. Mm-hmm. And we talked about how to, to follow Jesus is to fail Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like those things, they're going to go together. And we see that played out here in Peter's story. Yeah. And what's funny is it doesn't even stop here. He gets all kind of caught up with the Judaizers yeah, and later. Acts. And he just kind of starts cowering back from the gospel. Mm. And then he's restored again. Right. And I think to look at his example, to look at his story, you see it with so many other biblical figures. You think of all of these Old Testament heroes who all have nuance to their story. Mm-hmm. None of their stories are are clean and pure and all beautiful. There is a bunch of stains all over the story, but they are continually restored. Like this is a part of doing life with God. And I think what a fitting thing it might feel like John 21 gets slapped onto the end of it and it doesn't really fit at all. But man, what a fitting thing to come out of the victory of the resurrection and come right into failure. Mm-hmm. Because that is, I think we just kind of get sold this reality that like, okay, well, if I put my faith in Jesus, all my problems yeah, go Everything away. gets better now. All, yeah. yeah, everything gets better. <laughs> and it's like, man, I'm still going to fail. I'm still going to fall flat on my face and I'm still going to need restoration. Mm-hmm. And I think we ought to be in the church we ought to be the champions of second, third, fourth, fifth chances. You can still come back. You can still be part of the kingdom. You can still be used by God. Your story isn't over yet. And I think, man, if we're, it's in that isolation in the pit where it's like, nobody yeah. wants me. Nobody wants anything to do with me. If they knew, right? That's one of those thoughts that comes up in the pit. If they only knew who I really am and those lonely thoughts that come about, yeah. I think those are the things that drive us away. But man, when, when Jesus comes in and reminds us, man, that's not who you are. Mm-hmm. I, I look at those things that, make, that used to make me feel guilty in Scripture, like when Scripture references us as holy or righteous or as saints and all these like kind of big, lofty yeah, terms. Yeah, word. And I think like, man, that, that, I just have never resonated with that. Like, yeah, that's me. Like, <laughs> never once has that been like, I really feel like that's who I am. And so that used to lead into me a level of shame. I was like, well, what is it within me that I don't feel like I'm holy, righteous, or beloved, or whatever? And now I'm realizing, and that's the beauty of Scripture. Scripture brings me back to how God sees me. Right. Not, I, I've got all this twisted way of how I see myself, but God is continually saying, as I am in Christ, that I am holy and righteous and beloved and a saint, not because of what I've done, yeah. but because of what he's done. Well, and when you live that way and you're concerned about, I don't measure up, you end up living a very safe version of Christianity. Yeah. Which, okay, that's not terrible. 
But I think God wants us to attempt amazing things for him. And when you attempt to do amazing things for God, ultimately you're going to fail from time to time. Mm. I love Peter because Peter was all in. He had a passion for Jesus. Sometimes that turned into some amazing things like Acts 2. And other times he has other other failures. But he was so much wanting to go for it Mm. that I think when you live a safe life, you might be protected from some of the public failures or some of the disappointment you might not have otherwise. But man, I also want to be able to say, man, I'm doing, I'm going for it for God. Yeah. I'm going to try great things for God. I feel like I'm doing great things for the kingdom. And um, sometimes we're going to fall short. Yeah. But man, at least we've tried. At yeah. least we're giving our heart for Christ and we're doing our best. And again, I don't want to claim that, that we have to have no responsibility. We need to be living a holy and just and righteous life. Yeah. But functionally, I just think sometimes we use the fact that we don't measure up as a reason just to say this, I'll be safe. To stop I'm just trying. Gonna, I'm not going to be that person. So yeah. I won't even be, I'll just be average. It make, And it makes me think of, Kurt, like the, I, I think there's great, the gospel brings us to a, pl- a place that we have to recognize that we are average, right? Mm-hmm. Sinfulness is the most average thing about anybody because everybody's sinful. Everyone's got it. There's nothing exceptional about being sinful. And so you have to come to a place of admitting your kind of averageness to begin. Mm-hmm. And I almost think of it this way, like you watch kids go out and play sports and kids are horrible at sports. There has never been a kid that's been good at sports. It's just a a mess. I'm talking five-year-olds, you know, out on the soccer field. It's nuts. I think though, the five-year-olds might play harder than professional athletes do. Not that they're running faster, but I think when you're so good at something, the expectations are so high that why would you go and try to make that play when you might end up on SportsCenter not top 10, right, because of what you did? (laughs) And the expectations are so big that they just kind of stop trying the big stuff. Mm -hmm. And that happens for so many professional athletes that they just kind of end up having very average careers because they stop just going for it. And what's great about the kids is the kids are under no delusion that they're awesome. Mm -hmm. And that frees them up to just go give it their best. Yeah. And how great a picture should that be for Christians that we are under no like delusions of grandeur that we're awesome and that we have it all together. So let's go run after it. Let's yeah. go give our best to, man, if I haven't been able to pick up a regular rhythm of reading scripture in my life and I failed today, then what's going to stop me from going and trying again tomorrow? Yeah. I think we just stop trying at a certain point to build in spiritual rhythms, to see things grow in our life. Cause it's like, well, uh, I'll just never be good enough. Right. It's like, yeah, that's kind of the whole point. That's why we are freed up to give our best. Well, and that's like a, even this weekend. It's almost like a halftime for a soccer game. Yeah. Jesus pulls us aside and says, here's your orange slices. Let's talk a little about what's going on. Good job, guys. And he clarifies and he kind of gives us some prompts. And I mean, because I think what we can control is effort. Mm-hmm. What he controls is strategy and plan and effectiveness. Yeah. I mean, we have to we have to do our best in those areas, but man, God is the one who brings a result. Yeah. And I think that's a great reminder. I love that Jackson, that imagery of a sports team and and those little kids. Man, that's just controlled chaos. But let's go but give it our all. They're going for it though. Yeah. And smiling and enjoying the room. And when they leave all dirty and gross from the <laughs> game and they're just they spent half the game in the mud. Right. They got a big smile on their face and you say, How'd you think I did how'd you think you did? Awesome. I killed it. It's like, well, you didn't score anything. You didn't have any defensive (laughs) big wins out there. There was nothing really to celebrate, but they gave their best. Yeah.
And that's what, and I think, man, we just got to come back to a place in our faith. It's that whole process of coming back. I want to come back to giving my best, not coming yeah. back to be like, oh, I don't know, I'm a little, yeah. what if this happens again? Mm-hmm. And too many times we just kind of give up for fear that we might fall on our face. Well, and you're giving your best, hopefully, and a team of people are giving their best. Yeah. So it's not even an individual thing, it's a community. Yeah. You're on a team of people trying to give their best. And that's why when someone fails like Peter did in our story this week, I think my gut tells me the disciples wanted to rally around him Yeah, because they know him. And I think that's the value of a community, the value of a church is, hey, we're on this together. And if you fail, we want to lift you up and be there for you. Yeah. And what would you say, Kurt, for somebody who's living life right now in the pit? Maybe it's been, maybe it's been something recent. Maybe it's an ongoing addictive battle in their life that they're facing, um, or it was a long time ago and they've just kind of given up on trying. What are maybe some like, what are some steps that they can take back towards the Lord this week? Yeah. I think if that's where you're at or anyone's at, I just, I I think there's a piperism, but you don't want to waste your pain. Mm. If you're broken, if you're in pain, the worst thing to do is not do anything with that that benefits you. And pain hurts, it's not what you want, but it's also the opportunity to see your brokenness. And when you recognize your brokenness, it usually leads you to humility. And when you're in a humble position, you're, be, you're ready to be taught. Yeah. And so I think that pattern of not just dismissing the pain you're in, but say, yeah, this is tough. Some of it's self-inflicted. Yeah, I did that to myself. That decision hurt my relationships. Mm. Own, own what you have to own, but recognize, I think, in the middle of it, that that brokenness that you feel is something God's pulling you, and you could either go into um, despair, yeah, or you can lean into humility, mm. and I think humility is the one that begins to pull you back and say, okay, I am broken, God, how can you bring healing to me? So I think first is the attitude. The, yeah. the perspective of your heart is, teach me through this. I don't want to be arrogant. I want to be humble. Mm. I don't want pride to push away and say, that's not really a big issue, when I know it really is. So I think that's the first thing. And yeah. then I think the second thing is um, is just being able to listen again. Hmm. Um, and when God begins to speak, sometimes those conversations are hard. I remember, you know, picking up God's Word and you start reading through that and you're like, oh man, that's really tough. Because His Word, the Bible even calls it a sword. It cuts, it, it separates yeah. the very minute parts of our soul. It divides so that Jesus really wants to speak to those areas. And again, why? So that he can show us love and restore us and show us grace. It's for and our so benefit. it's for our benefit. And so I think it's the humility to hear, willingness to listen to Jesus' voice. Mm-hmm. And then I think, and I said this on the weekend, and I hope it was interpreted the right way, but most of us are so, have so many areas that God's trying to restore. I think we try to restore eight things at once. Mm-hmm. And I think at some point, I, I love the heart behind that. Yeah. Fix everything. God. Let's do I, it. I need it all. Yeah. But I think pragmatically, sometimes we just have to say, what are one or two areas I can focus on? Mm. Because I think if we try to do everything, oftentimes we don't do anything. Yeah. And so I would encourage anyone to say, hey, target one area in life where God is speaking to you and he's illuminating your heart about an area, maybe that's a weakness, and say, God, I want to address that. And let's walk that through. And then get some help from a pastor, from a friend who loves Christ, someone that you trust, to say, hey, how do I manage this? How do I attack this issue so that God can speak into my life and start seeing change? And Kurt, I think it's all about pacing, right? It's like, I, I think we want it. We want things to move so much faster, right? We see the, the awesome testimonies and the awesome stories of all of the transformation. And I gave my life to Christ and everything changed, right? Which are great stories. But 
so many times for so many of us, we have just kind of this slow reality where we slowly become more and more like Jesus. And for most of us, if we would look back at our story over maybe however long we've known him, right? I've known him, you mentioned being a Christian for 50 years now, right? If you look back over 50 years, obviously a lot has changed. But there's certain things that over the last year, they haven't changed as much as you would have liked them to. Mm-hmm. And I've got the same stuff, right? I've got things that I just wish would be changing faster in my life. And so I, I, we almost become so burnt out on the, the speed isn't going at the rate we'd like it to. And so we just kind of give up. And it makes me think of those like beautiful, smooth river rocks, right? That they've been just sitting there in a river forever and all of the edges are gone and they're just beautiful and smooth. And it's almost like we're these rocks that are all jaded. This is kind of the whole sanctification process that's so frustrating for us. We'll hop into the river for a little bit and let the water run over us. And it's like, cool, it's gotta be doing something. And then we get out and look in the mirror and we feel like we look just the same because it's a slow process of immersion, uh, immersing into into God's presence, into his people, into his word. And over time, that erodes at the sin in our life and the, the, the jagged edges and the things that we so desperately want to see change in. And you get up out of the river, man, maybe in a a couple of years and you look at, wow, how different is my life now from then? But I think so many of us, we get in for a week, right? I'm going to give you one good week, Lord. And if this isn't better, then I'm gone. And man, that's, he doesn't want one good week. He wants Mm -hmm. your life. He wants your devotion. He wants to totally consume your life. And so I, I think too often we're giving these little bursts and we don't get what we want out of them instead of taking the cruel, hard path of sanctification and just sitting with the Lord, allowing that to change our life. Yeah, it's that relationship. It's like even in a marriage, you you live together, I've been married 33 years, get that right, and you have that relationship <laughs> and that transformation, even in your marriage, to make it stronger takes time. Mm. And you might want it to be one thing in the beginning, but it just takes time. Yeah. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no ability to speed things up. Sometimes you just work through the process, and then you look back and you can start to see all the things that God has done. But it wasn't immediate. Yeah. And you grow in your commitment and your love. And I think similarly when or walk with Christ, it just. It just is that relationship with our Master, where it's it's spending time with Him. Yeah. And what things that maybe I view as things I need to clean up in my life now, I might not have even noticed 20 years ago. Yeah. Because now God's brought them to my life. and Got new issues. I got new issues. And I remember I was in a class with a guy and he was walking and he he was talking about his issues. I'm like, those aren't issues. Those are like minimal issues. Yeah. But he had walked with Christ so long that it became apparent that these things were to him what God has led him to because he is spiritually mature at a level I'm not there yet. Yeah. And we're all on that journey. And so it's fun to know that wherever we're at in that journey, there's another stage ahead of us. And I think that's the power of the church again, is that Christ is there saying, I've got people in front of you and I've got people behind you and pull those people behind you with you mm. and then draw a look ahead and find the people that are ahead of you and get wisdom from them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think in that tangible space this week, Kurt, it's like, what, what's that one step that I can take towards the Lord, right? I, mm-hmm. In that pacing reality, it's sometimes just a small thing. What can I do instead of, don't give me the big thing, don't give me the jumbo, here's the, right. you know, I'm going to go read the Bible in a day kind of a thing. Don't, don't give me that, like, because that's not going to lead to lasting change in your life. But man, what's like one small thing I can commit to, like yeah. the way that I talk to people or like, man, 
just instead of reading all of God's word, I'm going to read one chapter every day this week. Or I'm going to turn off the music in my car and I'm going to spend time praying each and every time I'm in the car driving wherever I'm driving to. Like those little things, they are small. They seem small. But man, that's part of beginning to immerse our life again back in. So man, if you've been living in that pit, I think it's about just taking that first turn back and saying, what's a little thing? I, I remember, Kurt, like a season in my life where it just felt like I was, every time I'd managed to claw my way out of the pit, I was back in it a couple weeks later. And it just felt so hopeless. And I think I got to a point where my goal now, it, it became, man, I just want to turn back to Jesus faster than I did the last time, mm-hmm. right? I might get derailed for, I used to get derailed for two months. And then it was like, okay, over time, I'd realize, man, he's still with me and he loves me and he wants me and I turn back. And then it was like, okay, next time, I want it to be less than two months that it takes me to turn back towards him. When something doesn't go the way I think it's going to go or I fall flat on my face, I want it to take less time to turn back and realize that he still loves me and wants me because ultimately that shows that I really don't get him much at all, my running away. And I'm looking to pay for it myself is what I'm looking to do. And so I want to see that time decrease and down from a week to, man, let's just three days, right? And I want to see that time go down where I'm more quickly developing a rhythm in my life that when I fail, I don't turn to what I can do. I don't turn to the holes that I can run to and running back just like Peter did to go back to fishing or whatever. Mm-hmm. No, I turn back to my Lord because he's the only one who can save me. He's He's my only hope. And so instead of, I, I think where we turn to shows where our hope is, right? Yeah. Like Peter turns to fishing, his hope is in, well, at least I can provide for myself through this and I can go back to whatever was comfortable there for me. And I see that so often in my life. And I want to I want to change that reflex too. I want to turn to Jesus. Yeah. And return to him as fast as you can. Yeah. And then at the same time, live in that world of knowing transformation takes time. Yeah. I think we want to return to Jesus and... And, and, and everything use, be better. <laughs> well, and we, I think we live in a, in a sense where I want to have my spiritual life like a microwave. Yeah. And Jesus is saying, no, it's more like a crock pot. Yeah. And I want you to simmer on this. And I think even when it comes to God's word, we read his word and, okay, what can I solve? What can I put into practice? Yeah. And sometimes we read a chapter and the chapter is great, but it's like a microwave and, and it's done. And we're like, okay, I'm going to move on. And sometimes God just wants us to simmer on a passage. Yeah. Sit on that. Let it soak in. Let it seep into who you are. And as you're hearing him and thinking, I think then it begins to be something that begins to cooperate with your own soul to say, hey, this is something you need to think about. Yeah. But so often we just want a checklist. I read that chapter. Nothing want the changed. the quick fix. Nothing changed. Kurt. Yeah. And I'm like, well, did you simmer on it? Did it, did it something that take root in you? Or is it something you just got a checklist to say, I read it and nothing's changed? Yeah. Because, man, you can read one passage every day for a week, for a month, and that passage is new every day. The things that it brings to mind, the examples that you think of as you read it, the the way that you're seeing God move just in that chapter, it can change pretty powerfully. And that's where I'm like, I just am such a fan of of when you're in the pit, when you're so far, just take the baby step. What's the first step I can take? Because those things, they pick up traction over time as, and they become a habit. But man, it's when we're in the pit that all the habits, they go out the window, yeah. all the formation goes out the window and it's just, this is the absolute worst thing and I'm so alone and nobody wants me. What's the step? What's the step this week? Where can yeah. you find I a love baby that. step? I love yeah. that, Jackson. 
And man, Kurt, thanks for the time. I appreciate it's good it. Good to be here. Yeah. And I hope that you've got a tangible takeaway coming out of this weekend's message. And as always, you can leave there a comment letting us know uh, just what something stood out to you from the message or something you're going to apply to your life this week. And don't forget that you can like the video, maybe share it with a friend and to subscribe so that you'll get future videos. But that's all we got for this week. We'll catch you guys next week on Tangible Takeaways. Mm -hmm.